Welcome to My Favorite Mystic, a podcast about the weird and wonderful world of mysticism. I'm your host, AJ Langley, and today I'm joined by Lika Smits. She's a medievalist at Leiden University, and she wrote her doctoral dissertation on art and literature in the context of bridal mysticism. Her current postdoctoral research project explores the phenomenon of spiritual role play in the late medieval Low Countries. Lika, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. So today you're here to talk to us about Bernard of Clairvaux. Yes, I am. But before we talk about him, let's talk a little bit about you. So how did you first get involved in the academic field of mysticism? Well, that is actually my favorite mystic, Bernard of Clairvaux, because I uh, initially studied uh, art history. And I think as most art historians will know, then uh, if you want to uh, study medieval arts and specifically how medieval people thought about art, then well, there is a text by Bernard of Clairvaux, his Apology, in which he has a very famous passage about art in the monastery, which he's actually quite critical about art for monks. So I was, as a student, quite interested in that passage because it's a quite rare account of someone's ideas on art. And then during my MA, I also found out that Bernard wrote all these mystical texts and I started reading them and was quite fascinated. So that is kind of how I got into mysticism. So what did he have against art? Well, there's a lot of discussion actually about how to interpret this text. So this is not a very straightforward answer, but I think his main problem was that it can be a distraction for the monk. And I think he was mainly talking about worldly art, so these kinds of uh, monster images, etc. There's a lot of discussion about what he actually meant, but he probably thought that monks should study their books, should form their own mental images, and that they should not be lazy and curious and look at all those uh, curious images around them. So he didn't necessarily have an issue with art in churches? No, he thought it could be useful to uh, the lady, etc. So he didn't have a problem with the existence of art. He just thought that for a good monk, it could pose a danger. Okay, so that's some of your previous work. But could you tell us a little bit about what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, thank you for that question. I am now uh, starting up a new postdoc project on what I have called spiritual roleplay. And this is kind of the idea that in the late medieval period, and I'm looking specifically at uh, low countries, that in private devotion, there was a kind of role play where both the individual, the devotee, and God or Christ are assigned complementary social roles. So a famous example that I also studied in my dissertation is the roles of bride and bridegroom. We will also talk about that later when it comes to Bernard. But during my studies for my dissertation, I found out that there are a lot of other roles. You have, for example, uh, professions, like God can be a physician and then you are his patient, or he can be a pilgrim that visits you. But also family relations, like you can see God as a father, also as a mother, but also as your child that you need to take care of. All these types of social roles that involve interactions, for example, you find dialogues in text, but also more physical interactions with cradles, etc., so that is the phenomenon that I'm studying right now. So how do you think Bernard would feel about this kind of spiritual role play? Well, he's quite uh, an important source for this practice because uh, he wrote Sermons on the Song of Songs, which are seen as the foundational text of bridal mysticism. So there he interprets the Song of Songs, which is this love dialogue, as a dialogue between the human soul, who is the bride, and God, or the word, who is the bridegroom. But he does mention in his text that there are a lot of other roles to be found in the Song of Songs. God is also a king, a physician, so all these other roles are already present here. And he 
of lays them out and says, okay, well, everyone needs something else. Maybe you're not yet at the stage where you can feel like a bride, but you need some medicines first. So I think Werner's is actually kind of a, also a foundational text for this roleplay practice, although it's more theoretical and not really put into practice in the way it was in the later Middle Ages. So kind of a variation on always a bridesmaid, never a bride. It's like sometimes <laughs> you're a sick person. Yeah, yeah. You can be, and you can also grow and uh, become a bride later on. Always good to have chances for growth in your mysticism. So we jump straight into talking about Bernard's works, but we kind of skipped right over who he was. So how much do we actually know about him and his life? Well, for a mystic, we know quite a lot about him. He was born into the nobility, the high nobility. His mother was probably quite well educated and was planning to enter a convent in her early life, but then eventually she married and had Bernard. He was well educated, probably raised in an intellectual climate. So in his early 20s, he decided with a group of fellows to enter the Cistercian order. Which was quite a new order at that time. So it was probably a choice that he thought about because he made it a bit later in his life. And he quickly became a prominent member of this order. So he entered uh, Citeaux and then became abbot of Clairvaux. And he was very ambitious and talented. And I think he is actually most well known not for his mysticism, but for the role that he played in the historical events of his time. So he was involved in fighting heresies. So he was an opponent of Abelard, who was accused of heresy by him. He was also involved in preaching the Second Crusade, which turned out a huge failure, and also in the papal politics, etc. So he was quite a political figure. It was also something that he struggled with a little bit, because, of course, as a monk, you're supposed to be secluded and shy away from the world. And in one famous quote, he called himself a chimera, so this kind of hybrid figure. So he was deep inside, he was a monk, but he also played a role, an active role in the world, and he had some problems reconciling these two roles of himself. I feel like when people think about the Cistercians, they automatically think of Bernard of Clairvaux. He's the quintessential Cistercian. So let's talk a little bit about the order. What did it mean to be a Cistercian at this point in history, at the very emergence of the order? So the Cistercians were a reform movement that wanted to change some things that the more traditional Benedictine monks did. So they likewise used the rule of Benedict, but they chose a different, maybe more strict interpretation of it. So the traditional Benedictine monks, they had a lot of emphasis on liturgy and prayer. The Cistercians thought that you should also do some work, <laughs> some uh, manual labor, because the Order of Benedict actually stipulates that you should be involved in ora et labora, so uh, prayer and work. They also wanted a more sober lifestyle, so in terms of clothing, eating habits, etc. So yeah, they were a bit more strict. They also had some core values or virtues that they appreciated. One of those was humility, which is very important for the Cistercians. And then also caritas, so the love for God and the love for other people around you. And I think that virtue of caritas is also something that you can really see in Bernard's mysticism, which is all about love, you could say. With the Cistercians being such an austere order, I'm wondering, do we see this kind of encouragement of austerity and asceticism in Bernard's works? 
Well, yes and no. So, for example, if we talk about food and fasting, then he is known to have fasted very severely in his life, even to the extent that he broke his whole digestive system and was ill for long periods in his life. But when he spoke to others, he was a bit more careful in promoting such excesses. So there's one text that he wrote, which is called The Twelve Steps of Humility and Pride. So he talks about what you should not do. So the, the things that lead to pride are the steps of pride, and the things that you should do, which is humility. So one of the stages of pride is being an eccentric. And there he has this quite satirical description of an eccentric monk, which I will read a part of. So he writes about this monk that at mealtime he has a habit of casting his eyes all around the tables. And if he sees anyone eating less than himself, he is annoyed at being outdone. He begins severely to cut down the amount of food which he had hitherto recognized as his necessary ration, because he is more afraid of loss of credit than of the pangs of hunger. So he is describing this monk who is sort of in a competition of eating very little. But Bernard says that this is not the way to go, because you don't do it with the right intentions. So it's better to eat a little bit more, but do it all for the right reasons, than engage in this extreme fasting, but just do it because you want to be the best at it and want to stand out from the others. So you see, it's not only about the actions, but it's also about your mindset and your motivations. So you're not supposed to want to be the hungriest just for the sake of it. It's not supposed to be a who can be the humblest competition. Exactly. <laughs> So outside of all of this austerity and fasting, what do we know about his character? What kind of person was Bernard? Yeah, so that's quite interesting. Of course, we're dependent on accounts of well, mostly his contemporaries and his uh, hagiographers. And it's always a question like, can you trust them? Uh, are they using a topos or are they, being, uh, <laughs> are they being honest? But Bernard is, I think, also now known as quite a difficult person. There's even one book about him that's called The Difficult Saint. Because he was known as being quite, well, he, he picked fights, he was controversial. For example, this, this fight with Abelard is really not pretty. So you could say he could be a difficult, harsh, judgmental person. But then we also have other accounts of him being very loving towards his own monks that were under his care as abbot. And that he really looked at everyone's personal needs, or he really looked at the individual to see what was best for this person. We also know that he had deep friendships, for example, with his contemporary uh, Willem of Saint-Cherry. And also, if you look at his mystical texts, you don't get the impression they are written by a very angry, harsh person, because he <laughs> does write in a well, quite beautiful and also loving way. So Bernard has these two sides that at least these two sides are passed on to us, this difficult, harsh side and this more loving side. And well, so he was probably a complex figure, or the accounts are uh, maybe a bit exaggerated, I don't know. So those are the impressions that we have from the writings of others. What do we have of his own writing? So we have quite a lot of writings by Bernard. They are not all mystical in nature. He wrote sermons, letters, treatises, etc. So his most famous mystical work are the Sermons on the Song of Songs. And this was really his lifetime passion project. He worked on them for almost 20 years. So really throughout his life, he kept writing sermons, adding them. And you also see him sometimes writing about things that happened in his own life at that time. So it really makes it a complex text. So it's called Sermons, but 
yeah, you could wonder, are these really sermons? He probably didn't deliver them in this form in public or to his monks. And it's also a bit like a commentary on the Song of Songs, because he just starts with the first verse of the Song of Songs and starts explaining it. He does that very slowly and carefully. So the, uh, there are several sermons devoted to one verse or one part of a verse. And then he just slowly goes through the whole Song of Songs, explaining things, giving his own thoughts. And sometimes he sticks to giving a commentary on the text. And sometimes he digresses quite a bit, talks about things that concern him at that moment that he finds important. So it is uh, in that way quite an interesting text. And it is also gives a quite well, I wouldn't say new interpretation of the Song of Songs. So, brief historical perspective. Song of Songs could be interpreted in various ways. So, the bridegroom was often seen as, as God or the words. And then the bride could, for example, be the church. It was about the relation between the church and God. But it could also be the human soul. And then you had this more mystical interpretation about the personal relationship. And this mystical interpretation did already exist. But Bernard really explored it to its full extent and really added a lot to that and made it more prominent. I think that is quite an important development for the, well, the history of mysticism because it was quite influential. There really talks about this personal relationship, this mystical endeavor of desire for God and uh, getting closer to God's true love. So you say he went through the Song of Songs slowly and kind of methodically, but it was very slow, wasn't it? I mean, how many sermons did he end up writing about the Song of Songs? Yeah, there are 86, if I'm correct, and he didn't even cover the whole Song of Songs, which is not a very long text. Yeah, so he really looked at every word, every <laughs> every possible meaning. And historians seem to really consider these sermons to have been massively influential in their own time. I mean, you can't read about a late medieval mystic who has any form of bridal mysticism in their text without Bernard of Clairvaux and his interpretations on the Song of Songs being referenced as the inspiring text. Yeah, I think that is partly true, because his text was copied a lot, it was read a lot. We also know of some later mystics who had read his text and also have like direct quotes, etc. So he was indeed very influential. I don't think that always means that persons who are interested by him had necessarily read his text, because of course, he became a saint, kind of an important persona, and there was also just this idea of the person, Bernard of Clairvaux, who loved God, which was also transmitted via other ways, so for example, through art. We have these images of his visions. He had some remarkable visions. Well, he did not write about them himself, so we don't know whether he actually experienced them, but they were ascribed to him, for example, of him being embraced by a crucifix, so Christ coming down from the cross to embrace him, and also Mary squirting the milk from her breast into his mouth. So these are two visions that he supposedly had that are often illustrated in art, are also retold in various forms. I think for many people, Bernard was also known through these kind of accounts and images, which also portray him as someone who had a special loving relationship with Christ, but that does not necessarily mean that his people who were aware of this had read his sermons or his other texts. Through his work, does he encourage people to cultivate a relationship with God similar to his own? Does he encourage mysticism as a practice? Yeah, I think sermons on the Song of Songs are mainly written 
as an aid for other people. So it's not mainly him expressing his own experience. Does not really write a lot about his own mystical experience. There is a point where he says that he has received visits of the word, which have warmed and wounded his heart, moved him. But he mainly talks about how others, he directly addresses his monks, but he probably knew that others would read it as well. So he mainly discusses how others can engage in the process of spiritual growth, where you could eventually well prepare yourself for a state of mystical union. So his texts are really meant to to help other people in their contemplation, in their meditation, etc. And they're not primarily an expression of his own mysticism. So who are the people that he's trying to help with these sermons? Are they primarily directed at other Cistercians or just other religious in general, who's the intended audience for these sermons? If you look at his text, he really addresses his own monastic community, so the monks under his care. I think he was mainly writing for monks in general. I think Bernard probably still had the idea that mysticism was mainly something for people who lead a contemplative life in the monastery. I also think he was talking to men and not so much to women. But then later on in the later Middle Ages, we see that religious women, but also begins lay people also engage in mysticism and also find inspiration in his text. So in that way, he influenced more people than he thought he would. And what did one need, according to Bernard, to become a mystic? What did you need to do? What kind of life did you need to lead in order to be able to achieve mystical union with the divine? He probably thought you needed some Time to work on your own growth and time for contemplation. So he's addressing his monks and I think he thinks that everyone has the potential to attain mystical union. And in the end, of course, it's up to God whether you receive some kind of mystical experience or not. So it could happen to anyone, but you can prepare yourself as well as possible. So that's mainly what he tried to encourage. Okay, so let's dig down a little bit more into his sermons. The Song of Songs is actually quite short, yet he finds enough about it to stretch it out over 86 sermons. What kind of things about it does he find so interesting, and what kind of themes does he pull from it? What do these sermons say? Yeah, so, well, there's a lot in this text, so it's difficult to give a brief summary. According to Bernard, mystical union is, in the end, a participation in the Trinity. It sounds quite abstract, but it is possible because our human souls have sort of resemblance to the divine word and thus to Christ. And arriving at a state of union requires that you know yourself and that you know God. So it is very focused on knowledge. It does not mean that he gives you a lot of factual information in this text. It's not about that kind of knowledge. It's more about the knowledge that you gain through contemplation, through engaging with, with scripture, as kind of a living word. So this idea of Lectio Divina, that was very common in the monastic context, where you uh, read in a way that foregrounds your own experience of reading, your own interpretation of the text, focused on visualization. So Bernard also uses a lot of images in order to convey his ideas. So first few sermons, he talks about the kiss of the mouth. So this is the, the first verse of the Song of Songs is, let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth. And according to Bernard, that is the human soul asking for a kiss, so expressing desire. And then he adds these other images to it. He says, well, of course, you cannot immediately reach for the mouth. That would be too much to ask at once. So first you should kiss Christ's feet and his hands. Then eventually you can hope to attain the kiss of the mouth. So he adds these other layers of images 
which also show this value of humility. Like you should not want too much at once, but maybe start a bit slowly, realizing your own sins and your own position of humility, kiss the feet, and then maybe see uh, what comes after. And I think that idea of taking it step by step that you see a lot in uh, in Bernard's text. So it's not really about uh, sudden ecstasy. I mean, that can happen, but it's not something you have control over. So what you can do yourself is learning about yourself, learning about God, and taking all these little steps that will help you grow. So you can walk towards God, but don't run and don't be presumptuous enough to go straight for a kiss. Definitely. (laughs) So he's analyzing the Song of Songs, but he's also just adding in things and additional steps as he feels are necessary. Yeah, and also sometimes just things that occupy his mind at the time. At a certain point he talks about heresy, but there's also a quite touching sermon that he wrote after the death of his brother. In that sermon he starts first talking about the Song of Songs, and then he kind of breaks down on the paper and he says, well, I cannot keep this pretense up because my brother died and I'm mourning him and I should write about him. So then it becomes suddenly very personal, which again makes it a very interesting text with a lot of variety. It's not 86 sermons of just the same methods, but yeah, it's a very complex and interesting text in that way. So how should the sermons be engaged with? Should somebody read them all at once or... How are they intended to be consumed? I would definitely not suggest to read all 86 sermons uh, in one go. I think that would lead to a a Bernard overload. Now, I think that they were originally written for meditative reading. So they are very rich in images. They are quite complex. So they were meant to be read slowly to really like contemplate on. So if you would want to read them in the light of how they were meant to be read, then I would suggest that you also read them slowly, maybe one sermon a day. Of course, it's not necessary. You can do it any way you want. But if you really want to have this experience of reading them in contemplation and meditation, then I would suggest to take it slowly. So what is it about these texts and about Bernard of Clairvaux himself, even, that keeps you interested and makes you want to keep coming back to his work? Yeah, I think it's probably two main things. One is the complexity of his character. We have so much of his own writing, also so much has been written about him, and he just comes across as this complex character that was, on the one hand, very ambitious and also had a strong sense of responsibility, which I think led him to be engaged in all these political actions of his time. Now, on the other hand, he was this very contemplative figure who had deep inner world with experiences and thoughts and mystical ideas. So I find that that complexity and that tension, I find that quite interesting. And then the second thing is that I just really love his writing. He has, I think, great rhetorical uh, literary skill. Like his sermons on the Song of Songs are very beautiful language, also inspired by the Song of Songs, which is a lot of imagery and that suits Bernard very well. He can also have these rich descriptions and express these complex emotions that he had towards God. But he can also be quite satirical and sharp in his writing. Yeah, he had a great uh, rhetorical literary skill that resulted in, uh, well, very successful passages. So that is what I really, uh, well, really love about reading his works. So unlike some of the other mystics that I'm discussing with people throughout this podcast, Bernard of Clairvaux is very well known and he's very well studied. 
His works have been discussed for their importance to theology, to the history of the Cistercian order. He's just a very prominent man. So, to your mind, what is there still to do? What would you like to see more people talking about with regards to him and his work? In terms of scholarship, of course, a lot of work has been done on Bernard, and I think a lot is still to be explored because he wrote so much, but I would also urge scholars to maybe look at some mystical texts that are a bit lesser known, because, of course, we don't want hundreds of books about Bernard instead of books about other interesting persons. But what I do also think is that more could be done to get a full, complete picture of Bernard to the more general audience. I think at this moment there's not really a good, accessible biography that includes recent scholarship. So I think in that respect, like more in the communication of scholarship, uh, a lot could be done. And I think he is also a good character that could perhaps be used by more creative people, for example, in literature or in movies, because I would love for a biopic about uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. I think his life was interesting enough for that, for a huge uh, Hollywood blockbuster, perhaps. That would be amazing! I would 100% watch a full-length feature film about a scholar and mystic who gets into academic fights and writes 86 sermons on the Song of Songs rejoicing about love. Let's go mainstream! So, who plays Bernard of Clairvaux? Adam Driver. That is a very good pull that you had immediately ready. So why Adam Driver? Yeah, so uh, I've clearly given this a lot of thought. Um, I think Adam Driver is, he's of course a talented actor. He can play sort of conflicted, difficult characters, but he also has this charisma about him that I think Bernard also had. So I think he's a good choice for portraying the complexity of his character. Adam Driver has also played a missionary before, so he has some experience in the whole um, religious uh, <laughs> realm. So uh, I think his CV is, uh, is, is quite good for this. Well, there you have it, Hollywood. A full-length feature on Bernard of Clairvaux. We've pitched it, we've cast it, it's ready to go. Get on it! <laughs> There's obviously high demand, and Liko will make an excellent consultant, I'm sure. <laughs> be happy to <laughs> and they would be lucky to have you <laughs> Lika thank you so much for joining me today and telling me a little bit more about the complex character that was Bernard of Clairvaux thank you for having me and thank you all for listening you can follow us on Twitter at myfavemystic and tweet us your thoughts about the episode and of course please join me next time when I speak to Megan Corey about Catherine of Siena mm-hmm.